This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Back to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School. I'm joined now on the line by Ryan and Andrew Beltran, who are the co-founders of Original Grain. Ryan and Andrew, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. All right, thank who's you, older? Well, I'll take that. This is this is Ryan, and uh, if you're with us, I'd make you guess. But uh, <laughs> um, uh, I am the older by two years and two days. Although uh, a lot of people think Andrew is the older brother, and I think since we were, I was in about sixth grade, has been at least my height or uh, or taller. So we thought we were twins, and uh, and ever since we were a young age. Yeah, you know, my my brother, uh, two years younger than me always looked a little older than me and I used to just lord it over him later in life, let's say. Uh, so, so you can save that, Ryan. All right. Well, I'm going to try to direct questions at the two of you. And, but before I do that, I mean, I'll try to direct them by, by name, but before I do that, I want to point our listeners to your website. So it's originalgrain.com and it's just two dictionary words, which I really like. So it's originalgrain.com. So, Andrew, before I dive in, tell me how you and Ryan divide up responsibilities, roughly. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of had a natural evolution as we've grown the brand. As we originally started, um, like most startups, everyone's wearing so many different hats. And we were forced to jump into business at at a young age. Um, As we've been able to grow, grow the company and hire on, you know, we have 17 people working for us here in San Diego now. Um, at this point, I've kind of taken on a lot of the retail distribution, uh, a lot of the PR as well. And then Ryan still maintains his foothold with the product the development, as that's where he's kind of originally founded the company. Um, and, and he handles a lot of the marketing oversight as well. So it's actually happened fairly easy. At the beginning, there was a lot of crossover. Uh, but we, we've always worked well together. And people, people always ask, how is, how is it working with your brother? Uh, we've never really had that problem Um We've always been able to work really well and just kind of divide and conquer and, and do what's needed to get the job done. So yeah, uh, we've never really had too much crossover. All right. Well, I got to gotta make a coin toss here because, Andrew, you identified as PR, but Ryan, you identified as marketing. I think I'm going with Ryan on this next one. Go ahead and give us the elevator pitch for Original Grain. Yeah, absolutely. So we launched in 2013. Uh, just past the six-year mark in April, um, with the celebration of, of planting actually 500,000 trees with our with our uh, our nonprofit partner, Trees for the Future. We actually planted a tree for every watch that sold. Uh, that was an exciting milestone for us. But at the heart of our brand uh, is our product, and that's a wooden steel watch. Um, we started as exotic hardwoods, rosewood, ebony, maple, things that are usually readily available, and have expanded uh, into reclaimed woods that tell a much deeper story. So uh, reclaimed bourbon barrels from Kentucky, uh, you know, 100-year-old Yankee Stadium seats. Uh, we even did a watch, a really limited uh, collection with the Warriors when they won the championship in 2017. So um, 
that's kind of how the brand has evolved and and uh, and grown since the beginning. All right, and I th- I think I remember Ryan Andrew saying it was your original idea, Ryan. So why don't you go ahead and give us the the origin story as well? Yeah, uh, it, it really starts back in 2011. Um, I graduated from the University of Oregon, uh, where we, we both grew up, and uh, we're from Eugene, uh, Eugene, Oregon. And I wanted to basically pursue my dream of, of starting a fashion brand. And and for me, fashion has always been a a form of self-expression and you know i was always drawn to kind of unique products or unique color stories things that you know again could could express yourself and so when i moved moved to china which was uh or hong kong and china was was my goal was to launch a brand and um i wanted to launch a brand with a unique product so uh i still remember that time when i saw saw the watch for the first time i had no idea that i wanted to get into watches um, I'll tell you, but I, I, I remember when I saw it, it was a wood watch and I said, wow, that, this is cool. Never seen that before. It kind of reminded me of home and, um, it kind of was that light bulb moment for me. And, and so that was in 2012. So I'd been, I'd been over there for about a year at the time. And, um, you know, Andrew can probably take the story from there, but he was actually traveling back from a deployment. He was in the military and, uh, in the Marines and, happened to stop in Hong Kong. I had a sample and I, I showed it to him and it was really all the validation I needed at the time. You know, he's my brother, my best friend, and I didn't necessarily envision doing business with him um, at the time, but he was like, he's like, this is amazing. I love it. You know, basically was willing to invest the initial capital it took to get it started. And that was kind of how we got going and, and the rest is history. All right. Well, Andrew, go ahead take it from there. Tell us about that moment when, when you made yeah. the visit. Yeah, it's an uh, interesting point in my life. You know, uh, returning from a deployment, you you run through all the memories in your life. You know, whether it be memories our dad had taught us in the Pacific Northwest, and just all of the the roots and the heritage of where we come from. So when I saw the watch, it was instantly reminded of, of kind of where we grew up, and I, I knew that this was something I would be passionate about. I knew that it was something that I was dedicated to uh, to giving it a shot, and that's that's kind of what all I needed. Um, to kind of invest the money. I, you know, I believed in my brother and, and the teamwork that we could create. And uh, so I was, I was all in for the moment I saw the product. Yeah, awesome. Well, Ryan, circling back to you, we you probably need to describe the watch for us a little bit. I'm pretty sure the movement isn't made of wood, let's hope. And uh, so <laughs> des- describe, the, describe the watch for us and a little bit about just how it's composed. Yeah, so I, I think you know again it kind of goes back to the the origin there. We, you know, the, the first product I saw was was a wooden watch, so it's made out of entirely wood. Uh, the movement wasn't, <laughs> but yeah. uh, the watch itself was the case, the bracelet, everything like that. And, and so I saw a real opportunity to really make a better product, um, one that combined both stainless steel, which is you know found in most most of your watches, um, from you know kind of lower to high end styles and. Um, and, and and wood and so uh, the watch today that we sell is, is really a mix of stainless steel and all natural wood or reclaimed wood um, we don't really have any defined rules in terms of what percentage has to be steel and what percentage has to be wood uh, but typically we lean on on more stainless steel and less wood because wood is more of an accent to the design itself and less of um, the overall product um, we really want the wood to just be, again, part of that design and part of the storytelling component. Uh, and we want this watch to be something you can wear for a long time that's going to last. Um, 
and not and not deteriorate over time. Yeah. So I suppose in the limit, you the simplest. I took a look at your website, and and typically you use the wood in in a few elements of the watch. But in the simplest form, you could literally just take the faceplate and use a wood veneer there as a graph, almost a graphic element, uh, as a visual element. Just in the in the there's probably a name for it. The fa- the, the the face on of the, the watch. dial. Yep. The dial. The dial. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yep. that would be the minimal yeah. use of wood. Yeah, got it. Yeah, you know, and is yep, exactly. You, you know, it could be as far as the all the links or the or the bezel yeah. around the around the yeah. face of the watch. So, yep, yep. Yeah. All right. So, Ryan, were you were you in Hong Kong and just saw something in a store window, or were you looking at were you at a trade show looking at watch vendors? What where did you see it, and and then was it connected to a supplier of watches? Yeah, so I was at, I was I was at a trade show, um, and I and I had, I had come across a bunch of products that day, and again this one just kind of stood out. Um, so that's that's kind of where I stumbled across the the original concept or product. Um, it was tied to a supplier, however, I was able to really work. You know, again, I I was I'd been over there for about a year at the time, year and a half at the time, and that was a real competitive advantage for for us. You know, when we were getting started, and I still think is to this day, um, you know, based on some of the relationships that I've made, you know, people ask me, you know, should I go over there or if I'm looking to source a product? And I say, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that I was able to work hand in hand with, um, again, my network of people and also suppliers uh, in their network or, or ones that I'd come across and actually get to meet with them in person uh, and vet them out, um, see who, who other, what other watch brands they might be working with, um, are they well known, um, what's the quality look like, so on and so forth. Yeah, what were you doing over there before you did this? I looking to start a, a, a brand, looking to, to launch a product. Um, I knew most most things um, in the fashion space were were made in, in Asia um, and that um, it was probably the place that I was going to find um, something that I could that I could ultimately bring to market. Yeah, but you know what's interesting about this? It, it's it's super interesting. I, I haven't typically heard the story this way or I haven't heard it approached this way but is you went to where the stuff would likely be made and looked around Mm -hmm. starting effectively with the supply chain looking for something you could then take back to your home market and normally somebody has an idea and they're like oh great where do I get this made well I got to go to Zurich and then I'm going to go to you know Italy and then I'm going to go to you know, Shenzhen and, and maybe I'll go to, you know, and, and so it, it, it's actually a really smart way to do it. Start with the supply chain effectively. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And by the way, in order yeah. to make, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. for sure. It, it, it's funny to hear your perspective. I'm sure you've interviewed a lot of different, you know, business owners, um, but it's something I'm passionate about for sure, considering the, the, the background and the experience I had over there for a few years. And I'm actually headed back over there on, on Monday with a, with our new watch designer, but, um, yeah, it's, it's something that I yeah. think is definitely an important aspect. And let me underscore something you said, Ryan, because I you know, I teach product design and I do a session on sourcing in China and I give exactly the same advice. I said, just buy yourself a plane ticket. You can get to Hong Kong for $1,000 uh, in economy. Yep. And then it's a it's it's now a it's now like an 18 minute train ride uh, to mainland China from Hong Kong. Yeah. And, and, you know, here yeah. you just got to go see some factories and, and get, get your feet wet. Uh, it's, it's just, there's no excuse 
to sit around in the States for three months, figure, trying to think about what you're going to do. Just get on the plane and go. That's my advice. I love that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, excellent. Okay. So, so Andrew, let's see, let's, let's, uh, you said you were, you were finishing up or, or I shouldn't say you were finished up. You were, you said you were finishing a deployment, but you were all in, but I'm guessing there's some nuance there. Were you, had you left the military at that point or were you thinking about it and and what was the timeline and how so tell us yeah. what happened next yeah so I, I had probably a year and a half left on my contract um during that time we'd actually made a couple hundred watches with the initial investment um we had i was actually selling them on camp pendleton out of my backpack at one point as we were just kind of developing the website and just t- really just getting customer feedback yeah. um even though it was, all, it was all marines at the end of the day uh, but it, it lasted the wear and tear test there, and uh, there was a lot of people that showed a lot of interest. Um, I remember I'd, I'd come home one afternoon. R- Ryan and I were working remote just through Skype and just doing calls every night, uh, just kind of debriefing what we could get done during the day. Uh, and he had mentioned, well, hey, look, let's take a look at Kickstarter. Um, so we started doing some research on Kickstarter. It was a fairly new platform at the time. Uh, about two months later, he said, hey, let's, let's launch a campaign on Kickstarter. So we built out all the templates, everything that was needed. Ryan shot the video there in Hong Kong. Um, we eventually ended up launching on Kickstarter, uh, in which we raised 390000 uh, in 30 days. At the time, it was the third most funded fashion campaign in Kickstarter history. Um, so we shot off with a bang, um, and we knew that we had some traction that we could grow from. Uh, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Carl Ulrich, and I'm speaking with Ryan and Andrew Beltran, who are the co-founders of Original Grain, and they make watches that use wood as one of their key fashion elements. So, so Andrew, tell keep going on that on the Kickstarter story. I know, uh, so four hundred thousand dollars, and you were you said the fourth highest fashion brand. So that was after some some stuff like hoodies, which were strangely successful on Kickstarter. Right. But, um, but tell us about the Kickstarter. And was that really the first large scale validation you had that the idea had that legs? Was, that was the first real validation that we had a product that, that, that could scale and sell. Um, again, we kind of set a goal. For if we could finish the campaign with around 30 to 50,000, we would be proud of ourselves. Like, okay, we have something here. Um, you know, Ryan maybe tell a different story. He had went to sleep that night um, and set the campaign live, which was morning our time, and I was just blowing him up all day because I think we did around twenty four thousand or twenty five thousand the first first day. Um, so we're like, okay, we're we're gonna have a run here, um, and we ended up finishing out with around three hundred ninety thousand yeah, and throughout the campaign. So that was a tremendous experience. I, I credit it to the right place at the right time. Uh, we were actually featured there on Kickstarter's homepage throughout that 30 days, um, which now is nearly impossible to do. Um, so they didn't, you know, it was a new platform. So for us to be on the homepage, we were just getting a lot of free traffic, you know, that we didn't yeah. have to pay for. So, yeah, uh, it was a, you know, it was that's I, I think we got to be a little careful about advice we give our listeners, because I, I've run a couple of Kickstarters myself and I ran one in 2012 around that time, October, 2012, yeah. and yeah, similarly yeah. successful, but it is very different today. And I think the rule of thumb today is you better be prepared to provide like a third to a half of the, of the support you're after yeah. from your own network oh, yeah. uh, to get it to work. So you guys, you yeah, got it. You definitely at the right time. Yeah. 
All right, Ryan. So, so all of a sudden you got to make, uh, I don't know what, a, a few thousand watches. So what'd you do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got that right. Yeah. I think, I think it was, if I remember correctly, which I should know exactly, I think it was around 22 or 2,300 watches. Um, and I think that was across around 2,000 backers, some of which had, you know, purchased multiple, multiple watches, multiple colors. Um, yeah, so we we I we hired our first employee who's still with us, uh, Joanna, and uh, she's uh, she's based over there, and um, you know been a huge asset for the company because she understands the product so well. Um, but it was it was really time to get down to work and start manufacturing the watches at scale, uh, which was a huge task. I mean, I I'd never really developed, designed, developed, and manufactured anything, and then here I am designing, developing, and then manufacturing um, a couple thousand pieces. So. Um, you know, it took us a little longer than I, you know, like most Kickstarters, we were delayed in delivering the product, but I was hell-bent on getting the quality and that part right. Um, so I think we finished the campaign in like April, mid-April, and delivered the product in the fall, in like September uh, or late September, um, with just a little bit of inventory for Q4, which we learned that lesson oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, multiple times now around inventory management. But uh <laughs> Um, yeah, so that, that, yeah, we just kind of hit the ground running and, and, uh, made sure we were able to deliver a quality product. All right. So you've now been sourcing in China for six years. So give it, give us some lessons about best practices. Are you still with the same vendor or have you, have you found that you outgrew that supplier? Just give us some advice on how you would set this up. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, again, I'm, I'm so glad that you agree with my, um, my advice around actually traveling and, and to the source and taking the time and a little bit of investment to do that. I think that's always my first, uh, you know, my first recommendation or, or piece of advice for anybody who's looking to get started in manufacturing a product, even if you're doing it here, right? Like you're going to do yeah. that um, regardless. So, I mean, it, there, there's no the rules don't change. Right. And so um, I think that's the first thing. Um, we aren't to answer your question in terms of uh, the same supplier. No, we've gone through a few different suppliers, which I think is normal. And, you know, as we scale and our business scale, not only have our suppliers changed, but the agencies we work with, you know, sometimes there's turnover in terms of employees, things like that. Um, and that's, that's all that's all natural and part of the evolution. Um, so we've, we've had to find, you know, different partners, different, you know, component suppliers, for example, you know, we the product that we make is not um, OEM, and I don't know how many listeners know what that means. But we we're not taking a product and just putting our brand name on it. Right. So we're actually having to develop develop the components, develop the way that we cut the wood. Um, for example, the way that we inlay the wood into the links or into the bezel is isn't really um, it isn't an OEM piece. So we've actually had to we actually purchased our own wood cutting machinery uh, with one of our suppliers. Um, and have, have have done that um things like that so it's, it's yeah. been a lot of work in a lot of different years and we currently have three different watch suppliers that we work with um one in hong kong and uh two in shenzhen yeah all right well well andrew i think i went to look at your linkedin i think it was you andrew whose linkedin profile uh it, it just cryptically says planted five hundred thousand trees did i get that right is that you oh uh, yeah yeah, I think I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us, tell us about the trees. Yeah. So that was just something we knew from the get go that we had to give back to Mother Nature, you know, and, and 
that was something we were, we've always been passionate. If that's where we're going to draw our inspiration from, uh, there was no doubt that we needed to give back. Uh, we ended up partnering with Trees for the Future. They're currently planting trees in Senegal. So for every every watch or bracelet we sell, uh, we're planting a tree. And, you know, it's been three years of great partnership. And we plant over 500,000 trees. What they do is, is actually the Forest Garden Program. So they're actually planting um, trees, but also for structure, uh, for food and supply. And they're actually training, like, the village leaders um, how to do it. So we don't just come in, do it, and, and leave. Uh, we we train the village leaders to to then to then showcase to the the rest of the village folks how it's done. So uh, we believe that leaves like a lasting impact and something that we're proud to proud to do. Yeah. So I I want to drill down on this just a little bit because the the normal advice would be that you do you do some kind of impact initiative either to mitigate a risk factor with your business or. To have, do something that in some ways resonates with your brand. And and I would say in this case, you're using so little wood in the scheme of things that it's not really about replacing the wood you're using in watches. But right. wh- what is the association? Is it just that, hey, our watches are about wood, so we're going to do trees? Yeah, it felt like a, 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 good, a good do for us to plant trees. I mean, we've seen We've seen people in our family plant trees. It's kind of a heritage thing, you know, yeah. to, to plant trees yeah. and watch them grow over over the term of your life, you know. And that was something that we would be proud proud to say that those trees are still there. Um, and that's kind of what we all we needed to kind of get behind that give back. Uh, yeah. And as you said, we use a lot of reclaim, re, repurpose material. Um, so yeah, exactly, we're not like trying to just give back for the wood that we're taking because that, right. that definitely wasn't the approach. Right. Yeah. And I also like the connection back to Eugene and, and Oregon, uh, which I think, you know, it's a very authentic story and I think also works for you guys specifically. Um, so, so Ryan, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least ask about San Diego. Why, why San Diego? Is that where Andrew was or just because it's got the best climate in the world? <laughs> well, I think it's probably boys. If I'm if I'm being honest, it's both. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Andrew was uh, just getting out, and and we had finished that Kickstarter, so it was. I was going to build this thing with him. We were going to build it together. It was we needed to be together and, and uh, pack the bags and move back. And but, you know, I, I will say we considered we considered maybe Portland. Uh, obviously, a really cool up and coming yeah. city, similar to like maybe an Austin or a Denver or a Nashville or you know what I mean. And and uh, and we're uh, we considered it there for a minute, but yeah, the, the weather struck hold, and and uh, we never looked back. Yeah. So Ryan, just along that thread, how challenging has the? I wouldn't think of San Diego as being. I mean, it, it certainly has some some fashion, especially associated with action sports, for sure. But right. I, but I, but L.A. I would think of as more a fashion place, or New York has the has the entrepreneurial ecosystem been healthy and friendly in San Diego, or has it been a little bit of an obstacle? You know, I, I got to say over the last 24 months, it's grown uh, a ton. Um, there's a, there's a bunch of cool brands out here, um, you know, in the e-commerce direct to consumer space that are, that are popping up and, and scaling pretty quickly. Um, you know, that whole ecosystem in general is just growing so fast. But um, I, I will say in terms of just branding and like the whole, um, kind of like look and feel down here it's definitely tailored to action sports and 
that was definitely an obstacle at first. Um, although I, I think it has again, it's changed so much recently for the better. We're right downtown, um, so we're not necessarily like right there on the beach. Like you, you know, actually Nixon, one of the biggest watch brands, is is just up north from us, about huh. thirty minutes. Um, there in Encinitas, California. But um, yeah, I, I think LA has always been one of those things that like. You know, I've had had that question asked me a lot. You know, why not, why not LA? But um, we like it down here, and um, it's been a good place to build the brand. Yeah, well, you know, my sister lives in Encinitas, so I've spent for a bit of time down there. It's, it's. I mean, I, every time I go there, I think, why don't I live here? So I get the choice, and it's pretty awesome. You've, you've, you've made it work. All right, guys. Well, we're remarkably we're out of time, but this is a super interesting story, and. Um, where can our where can our listeners buy the original grain watch? Let's see. Andrew, Let me direct that to retail as Andrew. Where can they buy it? <laughs> you, can, you, can find, you can find us on all social media platforms at Original Grain, and then on our website, OriginalGrain.com. The best place right. to find us. All right, beautiful. Okay, so go to OriginalGrain.com. I'm Carl Ulrich. Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.